So I thought it might be a good time to announce the founding of my new venture, HolisticPianoAcademy.com. Um, I realize it's raining coaches out there, but I'd like to thank my 22 plus years of experience as a professional musician and interdisciplinary artist slash educator. I'm more recently certified fitness coach and therapist as a combined skill set I could use to help people and contribute to the ecosystem in a manner that feels authentic and fulfilling. I'll be keeping you abreast of further developments with regards to the holisticpianoacademy.com. In the meantime, do feel free to drop in and have a look at what we do. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. And we're rolling. Welcome, man. It's great to talk to you after so long. Likewise, man. Have you been? Um, it's been it's been many years, I guess, since we talked, but I mean, properly talked. But um, I guess when you say how you've been, in a way, that kind of has, um, you know, there's a question about, you know, because we're musicians and it's like we're talking musician to musician and that kind of feels like there's a little bit of um, extra care there and um, empathy, I guess. So (laughs) if you know what I mean. Absolutely, man. So it's great to talk to another musician from another part of the world. Um, I have to say I have been, I'm I'm pretty content um, with my personal journey. So I'm not like in a place where I feel like really um, trapped or like a dead end or something. I mean, I've been creative in other ways, uh, musical ways. Um, and, uh, I feel good. I moved to a village in the countryside. So that kind of adds to, um, a peaceful life, I guess. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I, uh, recently acquired a dog as well, which is a massive change in my life since I never had one. Oh, what kind of a dog? Uh, um, God knows, it's kind of, a, you know, like, a, I guess, hunting dog, or it, it's not small, it's Sweet. like 20 kilos or something. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful, as well as a piano, which is one of the, my big victories, I feel, in the past year. I never had my own upright piano. Sounds beautiful. Uh, I suppose you you would be someone to uh, appreciate that. I would. It's funny that you mentioned that. It's it's actually been a running joke amidst my closer friends. Uh, I've always said... What is know, the joke? The joke is I keep, um, I keep telling them, you know I'm ready to settle when I finally buy a piano. And, I still, <laughs> and you, you'll exactly. be surprised. I'm, I've been a professional pianist for almost 22 years now. I still don't own an acoustic piano. Man, that's exactly, and I'm not even like, I can't even call myself like a professional pianist, but that's exactly what I was, the thought was like, what are you doing? Like, why (laughs) haven't you, why are you not, do you not have a piano? Like, 
I remember going around in people's houses, like people who had really nice houses, like big know, houses. Right. And I'd be like, mm, yeah, this room, <laughs> you could you could have a piano, but you don't. And then like telling other people off, and then you know, here I am, like, yeah, I totally feel you. Um, well, you're a professional musician. Um, yeah, and then you definitely play piano. I've I've heard you play piano, and I love what you do with it. Just FYI, just for my listeners, I'm going to get into how we met in a bit. Mm-hmm. I can so relate to that feeling you just described. You know, being on tour, going to people's houses, playing at venues where you feel the sense of appreciation for these wonderful instruments you get to play on. Personally. I've been very spoiled too because um, I work for a, I'm tenured at a music school where I get to play on, I don't know, I have like a whole building full of pianos I can go play anytime. But it's also, mm-hmm. and I've noticed this these past few years, that, and I, I also have like a whole bunch of stage pianos and digital pianos and keyboards and a couple of studios where I work in. Mm-hmm. But I've never actually, except for my childhood piano, which is at my parents' place, which is a beautiful piano, but completely defunct because it's out of tune and it's hopelessly out of tune. That thing's never going to get into tune again. You know, it's one of those, it's an old British Mm. piano my dad brought over when we moved back from London. Um, But apart from that, I actually, you know, I don't own an acoustic piano. It's, it's pretty... Yeah crazy actually come to think of it yeah so um, it's a big thing though isn't it it is it's like a marriage man i mean i know i'm probably exaggerating here but for me it's like it's like a very very explicit declaration of okay i'm setting down roots now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well i guess I, I, I haven't thought of that but actually you haven't said that it kind of has that feeling for me now mm. in this place Okay, so I, I hope I, I hope I didn't overstep boundaries there. Um, no, no. I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it's just slowly sinking in, I guess, hmm. to uh, find peace in other ways and like, you know, because I mean, that's how I guess pandemic and lockdowns and all that stuff kind of contributed to us uh, in many different ways. For example, not touring, not playing, having more time to maybe write or record or stay home or, you know, not move uh, so much. And then you get into a different uh, reality, you get into a different uh, routine. uh, And then maybe, I don't know, you just, you revalue so many things. And uh, for me, I don't know. I mean, I think because you know we 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 all like are running after our next break or our big break or you know our next record and the uh, next tour. So it's always this you know running after something. It's, it's, it's a chase. Not like we, don't, we never really settled. Yeah, we're just chasing chasing yeah. after something all the time. Yeah. So this was a big help for me to sort of stay still. Yeah, and uh, contemplate on everything, basically, which I, I'm sure it's a common thing for many people around the world at this time. Um, so then you, you know, you you kind of change your priorities and you sort of shuffle things around on what's like most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, which it didn't. Not having said that, it's not like I'm trying to say that. 
yeah, just music went really down the down the list for me. It wasn't that. It was just the way it was just the way I was um, uh, realizing my role in music or the role of music in my life. Uh, and that's kind of changed. I mean, you know, because you get questions, you question yourself like, does it have a meaning? Does it, is there a point for me particularly mm. uh, making music? Like, would, would anything change in the world if I stopped making music? Would it, would it make a difference for, to anyone else? Yeah. You know, you get those kind of questions. I mean, <laughs> oh, man. you know, uh, it's, you know I'm, I'm sure you've been through that. Oh, I'm not only, I've not only been through that myself. It's crazy. You'd be, you'd be uh, surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised with how many of my guests on this, on this podcast, which, by the way, started after the pandemic came through, have been... Uh, I've been toying with the idea of doing a podcast for years now because you know I've had the privilege of running to such amazing you know, friends and musicians all over the world, mm-hmm. and I'm always saying, man, these guys have such amazing stories. And I mean, I mean, how am I letting this opportunity go to waste by not taking them out there in some way? And uh, well, after this whole uh, COVID thing hit, I finally got around to it, and it is crazy how pretty much every single musician i've had on on the podcast mm-hmm. will refer to this phenomena about how the entire pandemics forced them to completely rethink the role music has played in their lives and vice versa and maybe also not rethinking the role of music in our lives but also rethinking the role of music in everyone's lives in general. Oh, indeed. Uh, and then by by rethinking that aspect, then, I don't know, I think it, it will affect the way that we create because if, if, there's, if the reasons change, if, there, if, if so many things are shifting, and uh, so many roles are shifting, then, I don't know, it, it just makes me, in a way, make, you know, it's always like my music is you know, it's usually personal and it's kind of obviously, and I've, uh, I've, you know, I've figured this out on my own in the long run, I guess. Uh, it's personal, but then in, in the way, you know, somebody's going to hear it, they're going to feel it personal for their story or some something they're going to, you know, resonate with or something like that. But um, it kind of feels like an obligation in a way to make things that are going to make people's lives better or they're going to enhance people's lives or they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to give beauty in people's lives. Mm. Uh, and, and enhancing uh, people's lives in that way. And I think for me, that's a, a big, um, what, what do you call it? Uh, What's well, a big reason and a big uh, inspiration and uh, motive, motive is the word, to, to create. I don't do it that much anymore. Like I'm much slower than I used to be. 
I take a long time like to finish a song and you know go over it again and play it again and see how I feel like a week later or a month later Sweet. am I still there is this is it still resonating I played for a friend uh, I'm I'm still like totally insecure with with things I write oh welcome to the club um, yeah <laughs> uh i mean for example i have this new song that i've been working on for a while uh when i say i've been working on i mean um i i don't i pretty much did like three or four uh recording sessions but it's been it's been around for so long uh so we make uh, we actually mixed it the other day uh hmm. in, in the studio and i never knew what what to feel about this song if, is it good? Is it not? I sent the demo to a couple of friends. I didn't feel that anyone was getting crazy about it. And then my friend, who I don't know if you saw uh, this video I released a couple of years ago called Astral Body. Oh, absolutely. That, that was dope. Yeah. It's a beautiful video. Yeah. Thank you. So my friend who did that video, he, he, he listened to the demo of this new song I was talking about. It's called I Am Love. And uh, he's like, I need you to record that song. I want to make a video. Hmm. So basically, just from just from that, just from his sort of, um, you know, he urged me to re- to you know to make that song in order for him to. He had already a vision and like a, a whole storyboard and mood board um, for wow. it. Wow. Um, anyway, why am I saying this story? I'm saying this story because. Still, I'm, I, I feel not entirely sure about this song. And then other, other, my, my, most of the people that listen to it, which is about I don't know four or five people, uh, they're like, I think it's one of the best things you've ever done. So wow. So that's you know that's nice. That is so um, helpful, right? When you have a pool of people around you whose opinion you trust and means something to you, and they kind of gather around and give you that feedback well personally mm-hmm. I, personally i struggle a lot because i 98 percent of what i do is completely on my own it's um it's something i hope to change in the future but usually um apart from a small body of work i did a few years back most of it the, the whole pattern's always been you know I, I, from the first word on the notepad till the last I mean, except for mastering i'll do everything myself usually play all the instruments too and believe it or not it started off because i literally you know I, I spent my earliest songwriting years in an environment where i could couldn't find people who would you know add to the song the way i heard it in my head now it's not that anymore now it's just it's so much i don't even there's a part of me who I'm not sure even knows how to work with people when producing a song. My own songs, I'm not referring to in a production team or writing for other people. That's a whole different mindset I kind of slip into effortlessly. It's almost like a parallel personality I have. But when it comes to my own music, it's been a struggle. I'm, you know, I'm uh, embarrassingly poorly skilled to let people in, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. It does. And, um, I can say well, I can say a few things about that. Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, up to a point, I was basically just 
doing most things on my own, meaning like recording it, arranging it, everything. It's a really lonely process. And then gradually I started bringing people in and, uh, but not always like entirely sure, like always trying to control everything. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, unless, uh, unless it was some brilliant people that I, I, I would just tell them, yeah, just play improvise over this and it's going to be amazing, whatever you do. Right. But, um, I think, yeah, the team, uh, the team aspect is very important, not just to sort of, uh, help you roll forward, um, in the music sense, but it's also very important, you know, cause what I talked about before the insecurity of, you know, you need some extra years um, to, to listen to what you're doing, to say some ideas. And I, and I remember I used to produce all my things. And then like the last album I made, uh, beaming light, which Astro body was on it, uh, two years ago, I was like, I reached a point where I was, I didn't have these songs and I had no clue what to do there. Whereas before I could hear everything. I knew every note that I wanted in the song. I had the songs and I had no idea what to do because um, I wanted to change. I wanted to not have the same kind of production, the same orchestration or arrangement or whatever. And then I just went to my friend uh, in Greece, uh, producer, and I told him, okay, I want you to produce this. I, I, I just, I want to bring people in and just, I'm giving you the songs. Just tell me what to do. Beautiful. Uh, so I shifted, I shifted those roles and became just, okay. I mean, he told me, you know, I co-produced it in a way, but basically just gave all this, um, um, what's the word? Uh, I, I just, I just l left it all up to him to tell me what to do. Beautiful. Uh, and not not have the final word except a few uh, a few instances. So that was very liberating because what I always say is when you when you get into that kind of uh, process is basically you are trusting yourself to to trust someone else, right. and that is that that is very empowering. It, it, it gives you such power to feel like, okay, I can feel safe here mm. and uh, I can feel safe about my music here and I can feel safe um, singing over this or, or releasing over, uh, releasing this thing or my f name and my face and, you know, everything being associated with this name. So, um, yeah, so talking about the, the team um, and then, and then uh, I I put together this beautiful band, uh, actually all guys from Greece, <laughs> which was, I think, the best band I ever had. It was a bit difficult because I live in Cyprus. Uh, I don't know if your listeners know that. Um, I was going to get to that in a and, bit. Yeah, and we did a little bit of touring with them, uh, a few shows here and there. It was it was amazing. It was just so, such... It, it just flowed so easily, like from any other bands I had in, in the past. They were all like really on it. They really liked my music, so that was the most important thing, and they're all friends. Mm. Um, going back to pandemic starting, canceling shows, 
uh, I haven't seen the guys actually since, uh, I don't know, like uh, probably winter of 2019, which again uh, brings me back to working on my own. Uh, you know, um, so again, puts me in a different, uh, a different situation of, okay. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you know the, the album now happiness, which was a totally solo album. I, I think you know, it, that was, I was touring that album when we met. I think actually, so too. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. This would be a so good time, uh, to actually do a quick with your permission to do a quick rewind to exactly how we met um okay so shall i say my side of the story sure go ahead or you or do you want to say it no i, I usually i start, start off this podcast by introducing my guest now that you mention it i've never actually asked the guest to tell uh, my listeners their side of the story so yeah go for it man you tell us um well we were in this little tour of Germany. I don't know, did we go to France as well? Anyway, it was about a six, seven day tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we started with Berlin. And then... Uh, uh, yeah, I remember that. You were straight from Berlin. Yeah, uh, so maybe that maybe Mannheim was the, was the second show. Mm -hmm. Or the, maybe the third show. Uh, which was really interesting. Also, the, the the traveling with the trains and all that. Mm. It was just like three of us. Basically, it was uh, two on stage and one sound engineer. Mm. Um, and we played in this little place, which I don't even remember what it was called. It was like a, I don't know. I mean, you pro you probably know what it is. It was like a little back room yeah. in this little place. Yeah. Uh, it was really funny because the equipment was all. <laughs> Jesus, all, yeah. all kinds of <laughs> yeah. random, just yeah. random equipment. They, were, they had these huge speakers, and then had these really tiny amps yeah. uh, for for guitars, which actually worked really nicely with the things that we were playing. Mm. Um, uh, my uh, Andreas, uh, my partner, and also sound engineer, actually managed to get really good sound in that place with this with this equipment. Oh yeah, um, and it was a really cute really cute show and actually i have to say that my guitarist and violinist i don't remember if he was playing violin as well dimitri he was, he was. He, he, yeah he always remembers that particular show from all the i don't know 50 100 shows that we've done together wow uh he, he always remembers that show as being one of his top two <laughs> no way so, yeah, he said always there was some. I mean, he's he's a bit. He's really he's a really uh, unusual character. I have to say, you know, that's why that's one of the reasons I love him so much. Uh, but somehow for him, it just worked out so well that particular show. So th this is what I have to remember. And then um, we probably met after the show. Yeah. But what I, I what I, what I remember more vividly is that we we the next day we had coffee yeah uh, maybe or maybe lunch yeah, together we did, yeah we did lunch yeah you invited us in this nice place i think by the river if yeah, i'm not mistaken right exactly right before taking the taking the train yeah and i was pretty sure you're not going to make it on time for your train <laughs> Yeah, I think there was a bit of stress there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just I about made it. So, did you make it though? 
Yeah, I'm sure we did. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. I think we went to Düsseldorf after that, maybe. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Well, um, I'll, I'll give you my side. Um, we'll just tell off it. That venue you played in is one of the quirkiest places I've played into in my entire career. Um, okay. It's it's called Kulturbrücken, and it's headed by a guy called Hermann, who's actually I'm kind of friends with. So shout out to Hermann, although he's never in his life going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. And that place is one of the quirkiest places in town, man, and in fact in the entire region. Because this guy Hermann, he um, he gets. Um, I'm a little hazy on the facts, but basically. Um, and I know all of this because he, for the longest time, he asked me to do to take over booking duties for his venue. Um, the f the interesting part about this venue is there are some really badass bands and artists from all over the world who come and play there. Wow! Because Mannheim, as a city, is a really weird city for musicians. I mean, it's a UNESCO music city, and it has a whole bunch of like three music colleges and shit. But if you're local, uh, it's a great place to study in and travel and tour from because it's so well located. But you hardly yeah. have any venues for local artists. Like local artists don't even play locally. Um, for the longest time, uh, people didn't even know I lived there. I mean, um, <clears throat> technically, I'm, I still live there because my address is registered there. But I haven't actually been working there for almost six years now. I'd never... Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those quirky towns. Uh, you know, I can't remember the last time I played a gig there. I'd always be on tour, but this guy Hammond is probably the only guy who's keeping that fire alive. And he's uh, it's the only place where indie artists who don't fall into a very specific kind of uh, pattern Mannheim usually caters to um, will come and play. And your gig, man, it was magic. And I'm not just saying that. That's the reason I. Uh, I, I kept track of your work ever since. That's the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast. That night, it was some serious magic happening. I also remember, because uh, I played at the venue a couple of times too, I was like, how are these guys making, uh, you know, your sound engineer is really good at what he does. Um, and I was... Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. I was like, wow, this guy can make this <laughs> venue sound this good. Because I've been after Herman for years now. Dude, get a fucking monitor system. You need to work on that PA of yours. It's a fucking nightmare. And uh, crazy. It was so weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like random, <laughs> random artifacts from different places, from different generations and eras. Yeah, I mean, it's like the, the, the whole backline looks like a flea market. And I'm. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually where where, where most of it is from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that guy's got a heart, man. It's probably one of the very few places in Mannheim which actually has a vibe, because the rest of the city can be. Uh, I don't know, as far as the music is concerned. I remember we were treated very well, and exactly. he also had this really nice house. Yeah. Across the street where we stayed and he, you know, he brought food for us. Exactly. And it was actually really, really good hospitality. Exactly. He's a sweetheart. Maybe, maybe the best, maybe the best hospitality from most places that we played in that tour. Wow. I'll try and, I'll try and tell him that uh, next time I see him, if I see him again. Um, he treated us really well. Yeah. He, he's a great guy. I mean, uh, 
even uh, a few months back when I was looking for a place to stay. Because I've been living nomadically for the past six years. And he was like, hey, anytime you need a place to crash, I have a whole bunch of apartments I rent out to artists, just say the word. So he's he's a, he's quite a character. He's a, He's got a thing, you know, he's one of those old school quirky artist uh, patrons you don't really find as much these days, especially in Germany, which is so super um, you know, hyper-structured when it comes to the uh, live industry. It's a little different. I think, I think the key to anything, basically, is like somebody who loves what they're doing Sorry. and they know why, why they're doing it and they, you know, they can feel, you know, it, 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 it sort of, it, it nourishes them in a way. I agree. Uh, you know, so that's the feeling I got. Like there, there was a love there. There, there was also stress. Mm. Uh, about making it happen <laughs> because I, 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 I got the, I got the sense that obviously it's a pretty hard thing to pull off and having been a promoter and a festival curator and organizer the past 15 years of my life, mm. I really know how it feels. I really know the job from the other side and mm. how difficult it is to, to pull, pull things like that. And I, I also, before, when I was living in London, uh, like some 10, 15 years ago, I was putting on my own night. So I know the struggle. I, I know how difficult it is to, to put on a really good night and have everyone happy, uh, both artists and, uh, and the public. So yeah, that's the, you know, that's the difficulties of the um, profession. You can call it a profession because you hardly make, ever any money out of these things don't let all the secrets out just yet oh <laughs> no seriously the mad respect uh, uh, mad respect i hadn't realized you were all uh actually now that you mention it I, I knew this i knew you were um, i knew you organized a festival or still do but i hadn't realized you were actually working as a promoter in uh, in other circles too i thought it was more of a uh what's the right word i'm looking for like a artist and residence kind of thing but so let, uh, remind me to pick your brain on that later on uh, okay balancing that line between being an artist and a promoter but um I, i'm i still i'm not um done describing that night because uh it really was probably one of the best concerts i'd seen that year it was uh it was very oh, inspiring thanks. And uh, it, was, it was just the three of you. It was you, Dimitri, and your sound engineer, right? Mm-hmm. Which is also an extremely interesting lineup. Uh, it just goes to show what an interesting... Like, most of the time, people will just... I mean, if they have a budget for just a small group of three, they'll take a bass player or something instead. But you chose a sound engineer. Yeah. <laughs> Which just well, goes to show was... exactly how on it you are. We we weren't we didn't do all the tours with a sound engineer, but that was a particular case because we um, we were we were invited from the cultural office of Cyprus in Sweet. Germany, ah, which gotcha. doesn't which doesn't exist anymore. It was this woman, uh, this really hardworking woman called Jorga. Uh, mm. who actually brought us a few times in Germany. Um, so basically, 
because there was a little bit of a budget to cover for that, we brought Andreas uh, on board um, to help us because we we played some really good venues as well. Like in, I think we played in Munich afterwards. Beautiful. Uh, it was a beautiful venue, a uh, big venue. So yeah, we I thought at the time that th- this would be a good um, addition. So because it, there was the budget, uh, that's how why we brought Andreas. Other tours, it was. I think we actually then we we went to France, but maybe I think Andreas left after that. So uh, yeah, I mean he was with us I think for four dates, gotcha. uh, which was really cool. Um, well, definitely yeah, paid it, off, man. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, was. We, we yeah, there was, was no chance we would have done that gig. I mean, there was no sound engineer at the place anyway. So yeah, and especially the kind. I mean, the sound he got. Out, I'm at the risk of sounding repetitive now. I mean, I've never heard that venue sound so good. Um, I remember you were, the microphones you were using. You were one of the, using one of those vintage Sennheiser. Uh, ah, shucks, I keep forgetting the name. Yeah, for your piano, and it was just the tiny little things. How, oh uh, yeah, there was a there was an actual piano there. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was an actual piano. Speaking of, and uh, mm. it was just uh, very, uh, very inspiring to see an artist touring. Um, you know, on obviously on a uh, well, not on the biggest budget in the world, but still just making that effort to. Um, pay attention to those little intricacies which make the world of difference yeah I just spoke for for the dedication you have towards your craft and um, um, that's that's probably one of the reasons I knew I want to hang a little more and uh, lunch next day I remember having very interesting conversation with you with regards to the trends that have befallen songwriters of late I remember something you um, start talking about which I never forgot about how creativity is you know almost you know the entire uh, fundament of what creativity even means anymore uh, has started to change you know it's an era of just basically people swiping constantly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. covers are the most um, beloved singles in a way almost it's like we just in a way, we're kind of living in the, you know, the present and the future seems like living in the past. That's one of the things you said. It, it was one of the first <laughs> times someone had br- brought that aspect to the arts to my notice so strongly. It really got me thinking. I never forgot. Can you remind me? Can you, t- can you say that again? Because I don't remember that. Can you say what I said? Like, what was the quote? Um, not well enough to quote you per se, but I remember the, the 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 overall vein of the thing being that you know we've come to a point where nobody's really writing a new song anymore. You know, even mm. but you know we basically just every song we write is just some tribute to song some other song that's already been written, and this is actually the first time in history that's happened. Yeah, I was probably feeling yeah, obviously I was feeling like that at the moment. Um, Although I have to say, I don't know. I mean, at at the moment, I am kind of hope. I mean, I am kind of hopeful for songwriting as a as a craft. 
mm-hmm. although it's changed so much. I mean, the, the ways that you put together a song. Just to clarify, was, just to clarify, before you go ahead, though, in, in at no point ever did you sound negative or uh, fatalistic. It was just an observation mm, you were making. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, every, everything's changed so much, and, and I think that's probably the reason that when I reached the point to to record "Beaming Light," I was like, I was a bit lost because. Uh, before that, I was making all this sort of acoustic music. I was using a lot of violin and strings and acoustic instruments and stuff, which is pretty. I mean, it's it's easy for me in the in the sense that it comes out naturally, and I can hear all these things, and then I can write them down, and then get people to play them and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then, once I was getting sort of, uh, you know. I was realizing more and more modern music and what was happening around me and getting into these other types of music and experiencing these different trends, as you said before, of uh, of production and, and arranging and all that. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a bit overwhelmed, to be honest, thinking that, okay, am I going to still keep doing what I'm doing or am I going to try and sort of shift from that because I'm, I'm a kind of person that I'm always interested in in so many different types of music and mm. I, I I'm not saying that that vibe oh yeah I listen to everything you know I do listen to everything but there's always like certain things that really get my attention and make me really obsessed about them and it's not always like one type. So mm. I, I would get obsessed with one record from that sort of genre and then one record from that sort of sound. It's just what basically clicks with me. But then once you do that, then most of the time, let's say 50% of the time, you're going to get so inspired that you're like, hey, I want to I wanna make something similar to this or i want to take some aspects of this kind of production or approach and see what i can make with that or i'm going to take this song that i have and i don't know what to do with and uh try it in a different way and also i think playing with dimitri a lot as well has sort of helped this in a way because he was into this all other kinds of music and then when he was bringing ideas in about arranging uh, my songs uh, that I would never think of. And actually he helped a lot with some of the production of Beaming Light and also re uh, revamping so much the songs of Now Happiness and the songs that we were playing together before. Uh, he was never like settled in one arrangement. Okay, let's just play this arrangement for like a year. Uh, so there was always a lot of reshuffling of uh, orchestrations, even if it, it was the two of us, you know, Love instead it. of, okay, yeah, instead of saying, okay, let's play this song with two guitars, let's play this song with piano and violin. Beautiful. And it was the same song, just like distributed the melodies and the harmonies in a different way, which gave it a completely different color, things like that. But then when it comes to production in the studio, I'm still kind of overwhelmed 
and uh, still not sure about how to approach uh, each song that I write. Um, I'm curious yeah, so here: is what which part of the process exactly is it that overwhelms you? Is it the the massive changes the, the technologies have, have gone through, or is it just the space, or is it the arrangement you want to implement? I think when you when you listen to things that are so new to you and so unique, and at the same time so uh, intriguing and um, fresh, then you're obviously gonna be like, oh, "Well, okay, I really love this, and I I'm not even near in doing anything as interesting as this." Gotcha, so, gotcha. For example, if you listen to a band like Son Lux, for example. I don't know of him, I gotta confess. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it's like it came from outer space. You don't know where that thing came from because it's so unique. Yeah, I, I, don't even, I can't even begin to understand how they make that music. And in the core of it, it's just songwriting. But the exactly. way it's treated and the way it's orchestrated and the way it's recorded and all the samples they're using and the, how they use the strings and the pianos and all that stuff, which is still like, I love this blend of acoustic instruments and electronic instruments or samples and stuff like that. Yeah. But as long as they're done in a, in a tasteful way, then that kind of clicks something and it, it, mm. and it, makes, you, it makes you want to explore. Yeah. And I know I'm in an age now where I'm, I'm, and I never was really like kind of techie. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who's gonna sit down for a week and learn a new software. Gotcha. Um, I, I mean, the, the most I'm gonna do is like, you know, I'm gonna fiddle around my synths and stuff, which has been a very interesting journey. Mm. And I'm still on it, and I, I really love that. Uh, I acquired a few since uh, the last couple of years as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not, you know, if I don't learn like a software in like a day, I get bored. So I'm still like for demoing, I just use this really old software. Yeah, I'm um, totally with you on that. I think the way I see it for songwriters, uh, it, 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 it ought to be a tool and not something which we need to get a degree in necessarily. Exactly. But having said that, then you realize that, wait a minute, if I knew more or if I, if I'm hearing something and I can't quite produce it, I can't create <laughs> that yeah. sound, then, then there's something missing. I need to learn to do that. Or I need to find a really quirky, uh, my DIY way of of doing that, or um, that's when help comes in, and that's where uh, collaborators and people who are, you know, more um, familiar with with technology, or let's say maybe synthesizers, or maybe sampling, or other things. Um, once you have the idea, mm. then you can you can get these other people in to help you produce that. And I've been I've been uh, fortunate to have um, people around me that are, you know, 
I guess, better than me in, in some aspects of this. Different skill sets, you mean? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, in order for me to to be able to make uh, something that I can listen, I can hear it in my head, but I can't really uh, know how to make it. And at the, at the same time, in the process, learning from it as well, um, and, and you know, asking, okay, how did you make that? How do how did you make that sound? Why? How can I make this sound sound like this? And then you get a reference in, mm. and then they're like, okay, this is this and that probably. And then we try to to you know to make that. Where where uh, where did your musical journey start? I mean, this is usually the kind of question music journalists start off with. But this whole this whole mm. conversation is being a complete. It's like all of it is going backwards. So it seems like it's got a life of its own. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So since you're talking about this, the whole process thing, where where did your process start? How, where did your musical journey start? Okay, I mean, music in the broader sense started when I was six years old. Uh, and I started, my, my mother asked me if I wanted to learn the piano. My mother was a, a piano teacher. Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> so I started learning the, learning the piano at the age of six. Beautiful. Uh, which I play, I, you know, I did the lessons and I did all the, the classical music and all that. So, and then in my teenage years, I kind of started playing a little bit of guitar on my own and then writing a few songs. It was, but it was, um, it was basically like an outlet, like just me uh, sort of closed, being closed into myself and sort of, it was basically my only vehicle for expression, uh, to be yeah. honest, because it, it wasn't a very, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a very expressive household, let's say, like where people were expressing their feelings or their thoughts even. Mm. Um, so for me, it was like, you know, locking myself uh, in the music room and just listening to music and then gradually starting to make my own music or playing bands and stuff like that. And I always thought like I was probably going to be like a, <clears throat> like a, a bank clerk or something. I, I didn't even think about it. It wasn't even an option. For real? And then I went to the army for two years. Oh my God. How did that happen? Well, that's what you do in Cyprus. Oh, gotcha. Not, not anymore. Now it's like a year. But at the time that I was uh, 18 years old, it was 26 months. So... Gotcha. In there, I started playing much more music, and then I joined the army band, and that's when I realized, okay, ah, this this can be a future. And then um, such a uh, strange association. I mean, I I would have never come up with that association. The army playing a role in one's music career, but I real I gather it's actually more than often not the case. <laughs> more well, often than not, time- sorry, the case. It was a time off in a way as well from like from schooling. So uh, you get two years to sort of rethink of your whole life. Like imagine like sitting for two hours every day in a century, like guarding some stupid, I don't know, uh, warehouse or something. I don't know. So it was a lot of free time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, 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 there was even times that I was sitting on the sentry and 
actually learning guitar or something or learning a song. So yeah. it was a lot of music playing for those two years in my in my life. And then, um, yeah, and then I went on to study music uh, in in the States for two years. Mm -hmm. Where about? And, uh, that was a Berkeley College of Music. Oh, yeah. Now I remember. Yeah, you're a Berkeley graduate. Now I remember. Yeah, but then I quit. Uh, and then I came back to Cyprus and wanted to become a rock star and stuff like that. Why'd you quit? Uh, exactly, because yeah, that's that's what I said, because I wanted okay. to become a rock star and I felt like time was running out. Okay. It was kind of a silly decision, which I actually, um, a year and a half ago, I was asked to do um, a TEDx talk. Huh. And I'm actually saying this whole story in that talk Basically, I mentioned that because the quitting part was something that I much later on realized the actual reasons that I did it. I figured it out while um, trying to write the story for my talk. So it took me it took me so long to actually realize the real reason. So tell us what what was the real reason? Well, basically, it was like uh, it was like a lack of confidence, a lack of worth. Really? So it had to do with self-worth self because basically it was like I couldn't fathom the fact that I was good and the fact that I was doing well in the school mm. and the fact that I was, you know, getting, I mean, imagine you're a bass player because that's what I studied actually. I'm a bass player basically. Really? So you're a bass, yeah, <laughs> you're a bass player in a, in a school of like another 350 bass players. Oh yeah, Berkeley's scary, man. So, exactly. So then when you get attention, when you start getting people saying you're good and stuff, you know, that's what was happening with me. And then I kind of didn't even, I couldn't even realize that thing. I, you know, it just felt so, just felt so foreign to me. And mm. in a way, I think that that's kind of like a in a in a gen. If I if I would if I was to generalize things, I would be like, in Cyprus, we have this collective, let's say, uh, subconscious belief that we're always the underdog. Okay, which we have been because we were always a. a, a, a a country that I was that was not even a country until like 50 years ago 60 years ago mm. and it was always we were always under uh you know the turks the english the venetians whatever if you go back in history it was always a country that was it had a um it was occupied by other other nations mm -hmm. so this is my theory okay my theory is like we are always like feel that we are under something or that somebody else is better than us that we don't we don't really our worth is kind of limited well, i'm intimately familiar with the feeling in india we call it the colonial hangover exactly yeah. so you know what i mean absolutely yeah so i think i mean my theory is this like it kind of it has that i actually in the last couple of years i um i started I've been doing workshops in the past, like about songwriting and production and stuff. But the last, I think, three years, I I developed this new workshop called The Musician's Mindset. And I've been working with a lot of kids from 
well, basically from Cyprus, but also I, I've done this in Greece a few times as well. I'm doing it this year too. Uh, and I worked with a lot of people uh, in this workshop and it was about finding, it was basically when I found and sort of realized things that sort of um, held me back in my career. Mm. Even if even if somebody would come and say, "Hey, man, you know, you've done five, ten records. You know, what are you talking about? You're you're great. You know, it doesn't mean anything when you don't, when you can't feel, you can't embody that kind of satisfaction or the, or that kind. If you can't give it to yourself, if you can't give yourself a pat in the back or of, hey, man, you're okay. You're good. Mm. You're you know, you're, you, you've accomplished enough or whatever, whatever you did is enough. It's not, it doesn't mean that you have to stop, but at least feel content with what you've done up to now. And so you can move on. So, yeah. So when I realized these things about myself, then I, I felt that it would be useful to share it with other people and, um, and ask other people their, for their stories and what, they feel it holds them back, which a lot of the time is not something that you consciously know. So you need to really talk about it. You need to open up about it. You need to dig into it to find reasons that you would never, you never would imagine that, oh, so maybe, oh, you know, that teacher that time when he told me that I suck, mm -hmm. that's when the downhill started, for example, but not necessarily the playing of the particular person or the proficiency or whatever, but it was a, about the, the psychology of it. You know what I mean? Because it's a different thing being good or being proficient on your instrument or even writing good songs. But if, if other things don't balance out, if they don't match, uh, I mean, I had kids, for example, who were writing amazing songs. And when I say amazing, I mean like top quality songs like not even like my generation of songwriters let's say in cyprus is it doesn't even 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 imagine writing this kind of uh quality songs and then these kids were so they, they lacked so much confidence they couldn't even play a song in front of like seven other people in the workshop wow they were so like nervous and stuff like that so they, they yeah and then talking through it, digging through this thing and uh, finding all the, the obstacles uh, that are inside of us and not from anybody else, like saying you're not good or at the present moment, I, at least. Um, yeah, it, it has gave me a lot of, has given me a lot of joy. And uh, <clears throat> I also learned so much as well from doing this, this workshop. So this what I'm saying now, it just stemmed out of uh, that story I was saying about me, basically, and how I went back. No, it all and, fits in really well. FYI, I work as yeah. an artist coach too, and I have a background in psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. It's a recent development uh, over the past few years. So uh, the lines have gotten very blurry for me between art and psychology and really uh, uh, mindset, if that's the right word we were looking at, um, mm -hmm. and, and all the demons and the struggles. Yeah, 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 same here. Um, and I feel like we're living in an era where it, it, you know, those lines are being blurred aren't a coincidence. I think, you know, at the end of the day, music is medicine. And I think uh, in an age where the music industry, quote unquote, 
is so saturated with all aspects of entertainment that could have possibly been. I think it's True Purpose is um, finally coming out. It, it's medicine. and uh, Oh, God, yeah. But I, it brings brings us back, doesn't it, to what we were saying in the beginning about reassessing the, absolutely. the role value of music absolutely man that's that's another one of those epiphanies i feel like a lot of us have been going through since the pandemic hit um, one of the conclusions i think a lot of us have come to that at the end of the day the probably the only reason we keep on doing music uh, it's you know you think you'd have to be really crazy to try and do this for a living <laughs> but um but i think there's something um I think the the power it inherently shows us to heal both ourselves and the people around us is what really keeps us going subconsciously. I think it, it also consciously as well for me. I think uh, at this at this time. Yeah, same here. Ditto. I was generalizing. I know. I understand. But I just picked up on that to say that uh, it 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 becomes it's uh it can become and it's becoming for a lot of people a conscious decision because for someone like me who you know i mean i don't know if i have maybe a thousand fans if i had a thousand fans that would be amazing i hope i do uh so you're thinking okay so what kind of what i was saying in the beginning what kind of change is possible to be made but it's it's not just that it's it's you're putting your little it's 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 almost like you know when they say you meditate and you bring peace in your own consciousness in your own body and uh, and then someone might say so what what good that's going to do but it affects like every in every little thing we say and every little thing we do does affect collectively yeah, the whole yeah. world yeah yeah our and, environment <clears throat> And then the, the when you can actually create something that's gonna, you know, it has the power of actually reaching a lot of people. Indeed. Then that makes it a hundred times more powerful. Indeed. And for me, that's the only that's the only kind of things that I can think of in order to keep me going and creating. Otherwise, if I if I had the psychology that I had or the mindset that I had like 10 or 20 years ago, I would have never done anything because I thought that the only important thing is to be famous. And uh, once you're famous, everything is going to be great. I would have killed myself if, if, if I was thinking like that today, you know, or anyone, you know, just like running after, chasing after that ghost. Yeah. And... Uh... I think at a point, oh, um, this is a risky area I'm talking about now when I say this, but if you, <clears throat> I think we're also living in an era where fame, if if you take a look, and I'm going to sound judgmental here, but I'm actually, this is actually an observation and I draw the line between observation and judgment because I'm not saying it's a bad thing, uh, you know, people are free to do whatever they want, uh, just to clarify, but it's it's very obvious that fame really has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of art and never before has it been obvious. It's always been, you know, that way in one way or the other, except now you could, I don't know, do something really silly on TikTok and become a star. Exactly. Yeah. And that level of obviousness has never been uh, there before. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. No, no, I, I was just saying exactly. It just makes it so obvious now. Whereas in our time, in my time, when I was growing up, I thought that being a musician equaled 
being famous. Exactly. So this was a massive, massive burden for me because I thought that if one didn't exist, the other couldn't exist. Yeah, I remember my dad saying, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing we're pretty much the same generation. I'm 42. And uh, I remember the first, my parents are both doctors. And I remember the first time I said, I think I want to be a musician. I mean, like legit for a living. I think one of my first thing my dad said, uh, things my dad said, and he, you know, in his defense, he had no clue what he was dealing with. You know, he had no idea what that even meant. It's like, okay, if you can get on TV, it's okay. <laughs> and um, you know, that, that actually was like the end goal of a successful musician, if you made it on TV. Yeah, you know? it's so ironic though, even yeah. to this day, since you said that, it's so ironic because it still works, man. <laughs> like for example, yeah. it does. It does. Yeah. Know, right? It does because like I've been doing this thing for so long and then maybe you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years later, an uncle of mine or a friend of my dad's or whoever, people who watch TV, uh, they see me on TV because, you know, I went to play or I went to have an interview or whatever. And once they see me, they're like, oh, you're doing great. You're doing well. (laughs) I didn't know. Well done, son. I didn't know you were doing, I didn't know you were doing so well. Well done. And maybe they call me up. And they're like, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it still does work like that. Uh, and I, and I'm, I've been, in the past, I've been so like rebellious about it. Like, you know, I, I, I grew up with like alternative rock and stuff like that. So you can, you can tell like gotcha. the kind of mindset I, I had. Gotcha. Um, so it was like, no, fuck TV, fuck the government, fuck everything basically. Yeah. So and so were my other bandmates at the time. So it was like, no, I'm not going on TV. I'm not going to sell out. We didn't even realize or knew what like promotion was. Like we didn't, we would rather not do it Mm -hmm. than feel that we were selling out or something or basically, which doesn't make sense, I guess, in a way, because all the people that we love and we admire from yeah. like the biggest bands, I mean, that's <laughs> how they got known, and yeah. that's how they we got to know them. Yeah, but we never knew exactly how yeah. would I how would I known that the Beatles, for example, who have just a huge band, mm-hmm. if they weren't who they were, if they didn't do the things they did, you know, to promote themselves. Exactly. So it was kind of like a crappy sort of an insecure uh, way of uh, of dealing with it and it took me a lot of years to actually get on board with uh, promoting because that again it goes back to the insecurity thing it, it doesn't it's not necessarily about the rebellion it's about insecurity i hear you, man uh, and, and 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 it's even like it's even like not being able to handle it because uh, fame uh, it, it has a lot coming with it and, and uh, yeah, somebody who, whose confidence is not even like you know it's, it's, it's very weak let's say it doesn't even subconsciously it's not it, 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 your subconscious tells you that man you can't handle this you know you think you want it mm. but you don't even know what it means oh God. when you have it I know, man. So I think that fear, that internal fear is what kind of 
makes you, let's say, rebellious or like saying no to things or saying, no, I'm pure and I'm this and I'm that. But at the end of the day, it's just like, and I, I did this thing with uh, going back to the songwriting. I, I found that my songwriting for, for many years, it was very complex and I would like, I would never do like a proper sort of, not proper, but like a, let's say um, a conventional song. I would always go into these sections and all these weird things and stuff. And and then the result I would be getting from this, it was people coming up to me and saying, the people who did show up, they would be like, oh, I I I really like it. It's uh, it's different. So gotcha. that's all I would get is different. So yeah. But the different thing, it, it's not something that everyone is going to like. It's something that only a few people are going to resonate with. Um, yeah, I'd get that a lot too during my formative years as an artist. And I'm, I was always like, I felt like people were just being nice to me and saying, hey, you know, your music sucks. <laughs> I'm not, this is not to, not to imply that that's what happened to your case, but I found it a very confusing statement. I never knew where I stood with my audiences when they said, it, you sound so different. I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, what are you trying to tell me? Should I just like give up or something? Exactly. But, uh, that was my insecurities acting up. Exactly. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then stepping behind that thing, I was thinking by doing this, by writing music, by performing, the basic need underneath everything is to communicate. And it's not just to communicate with like these 10, 20 people. You want to, your true desire is that you want to reach as many people as possible. But basically, you're tripping yourself over and over again because of your insecurity. It's not because, for example, my songs weren't really good or this or that. But at the same time, I, would, I wouldn't make any compromise. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't make a compromise to even think about what making a compromise would be and what the benefit of that would be. Mm -hmm. Uh, just because I was sticking to, let's say, I was sticking to, I, I was just not willing to change, progress, uh, be flexible, all these things. Uh, but once I realized that, and I realized, okay, yeah, I do want to want to reach a lot of people. Why I want to reach a lot of people? Not because I want to be famous, but because I want to I want to express and communicate with more people because I'm feeling something that I feel a lot of people are feeling as well. So I wanted to go far and wide. I don't, I don't just want to be addressing like this closed community. To be more accessible. Exactly. Yeah. But not in a selling out vibe, but in a more like, okay, because when you, when you step back and you listen to other things that you like, you're like, why, why do I like this song? Why do I like this melody? Why is this so catchy? Why do I keep singing this? Why do I feel good when I'm listening to this, although it's uh, this pop song and whatever? Mm. And, and, and you guys said, wouldn't I want to have a song like that? Wouldn't, wouldn't I want to you know, make my song shorter and punchier and a catchier and like work on the melody a little bit more or maybe not have this really weird harmony or blah, 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 all these things. Um, so yeah, now I'm getting really into like, you know, the songwriting and all that. You're on the right podcast if that's something you want to talk about. Yeah, but I'm just kind of connecting that with, um, with the psychology of it. Yeah, you're doing a great job, man. Keep going. <laughs> no, seriously, Thank though. You. Uh, <laughs>
Yeah, well, that was yeah. That these are sort of some of the ideas that I'm exploring um, regarding uh, you know the songwriting, the the you know the promoting yourself and how the songwriting affects it, how uh, the way you um, uh, approach situations uh, that don't necessarily have to do with the music. Uh, yeah, it's, these are all things that I'm sort of learning although it a bit at a, at a bit of a late stage let's say but at the same time i'm i'm happy and content that i i still i'm still learning and i'm still growing and uh although i'm 43 as well i'm not i don't feel like a couple of years ago actually i was actually saying this to myself i was saying i feel like, uh, like i'm just starting out yeah. you know because when you when you when you have this fresh start and you kind of rethink and uh, your whole situation and the, the way you see things, it's like being born again. Mm. Are you being born again as a as an artist? Uh, and, and I mean, we can even see this with a, a lot of famous artists as well, like how they you know at some point they change their uh, the vibe, their identity, their style, whatever they did. Very much so. And, and they, 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 you have this rebirth and then you can have it maybe again and again. And then that's what being human is about. It's, it's growing all the time. It's not, it's not just staying still and say, okay, we arrived and here we're going to stay forever. No. I run the risk of uh, fulfilling a stereotype here, but I feel like age is a very abstract and strange concept for a musician or an artist. It's like, I really don't know what to do with age. It's, it's, I'm at a complete loss. Uh, I have no idea what a man in his 40s or, or, or a woman or, or um, uh, non-binary gender for that matter. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. Uh, and I say that and people will uh, look at me strange. But I genuinely don't know what that implies. Like, am I supposed to behave in a certain way? Because there's a certain digit before my name now. Yeah, are you supposed to be on your way out? Are you supposed yeah, to be I know, like, exactly. greatest hits? Yeah. Uh, that's you know you you can just keep going basically yeah yeah i think that's the only healthy healthy way to to tackle any any sort of era in in one's life i agree that being said i think that's another interesting and very positive trend i've noticed the last label i was signed to never asked me how old i was when they signed me they were based in california that's pretty cool yeah, they, they had an extremely young roster. Some of my label mates were like in their early 20s. And not once did the label manager ask me how old I was. Uh, except for when signing the contract said, you can give me any birthday you want. I don't really care. So that was interesting. It was also... Uh, an, which makes it even cooler. Which makes it even cooler. I actually gave him my actual birth date. And he probably... I don't know if he thinks it's fake or not. But um, it's, it's very interesting um, how the internet has also flattened a certain curve when it comes to this. All of a sudden, age doesn't matter the way it used to maybe 20 years back. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it doesn't. Because when I was... Like 20 years ago, I was 22, for example, and I was like, oh, man, it, time is running out. Yeah. I'm, I'm already 22 and I'm not famous. Yeah. What's going to happen? I think for artists who actually want to have a certain degree of uh, control, for lack of a better term, I don't really like that word, over their art, 
I don't think it makes a much of a difference because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't let some label dude, you know, push you around with regards to how exactly you should write your music, even at 22. So um, the, the whole stereotype about grabbing young 20-somethings to onto your roster is about forming them in a manner you want them to to conform to certain industry standards but that's something that would probably have never been applicable to artists like you and me no matter what age we were at yeah well i think it has to do it had to do also with like for example things like rock and roll and like it it was like a youthful thing and you had to be you know jumping around and being able to do all these uh, stunts and whatever as well as with the music but also having that you know teenager kind of angst or whatever it is like to resonate with the youth and all that mm. That that's another thing and, and, and definitely like the sort of young pop stars obviously they're gonna um, they're gonna be like uh, adored and uh, aspired to by the by the young, but okay, that's one aspect of it. But as a, as as a growing artist, let's say it's a different story. Like you know, once you keep you keep keeping yourself, maintaining yourself relevant. I think that's the that's the important thing to be kind of re- relevant with the times, and actually to be relevant with the times. I think you need to be relevant. Uh, and true to yourself. I agree. And I think that's what keeps you re- relevant in general, because actually when you're trying to be something you're not, that makes it even more hilarious. It's, it's just like, it just doesn't work. Very well said. Thanks for that, Matt. I'm glad. Take us back to Berkeley, where you decide to quit, and then you move to Cyprus again. What happens then? Uh, I put together a, a band. Oh, I had, I had. Oh no, I think I had that band from the summer before, from mm-hmm. a year before. And then I came here, and my main aim was to record our first album, and that's what I did. I just gigged with the band nonstop, uh, and the, hit the studio, spent lots of money in the studio, lots of time. I mean, the guy who was recording us was also like a an amateur at the time. So it was all like really, you know, I had all these ideas and I wanted to, to create them. And then this guy was slow. So anyway, it took like about nine months to do that. Um, and then, and then basically about a year later, actually we put out the album and then it was like, okay, so what do we do now? Hmm. What can we do? Like we're in this tiny island far away from everything. There was no like, it was just about when Napster came out. So it, was, it wasn't like any major sort of streaming or all these things, uh, YouTube or all these things that you can share your music on. It was all like you, you made a thousand CDs and you were hoping for the best. Wow. I miss those times though. Yeah. <laughs> Where you could yeah, actually sell a thousand CDs. Yeah, I don't. I think I don't know if we ever sold all of them, but I think we sold a lot of them. Um, and there was no, yeah, you know, like touring wasn't something that was like possible at the time. Like there was no infrastructure for uh, putting those things together, especially from where we were located. So I did that for about three years, and then went back to 
I went to England this time to study and like finish my studies there in music. And that's where I stayed for for a long time. And then uh, I created other bands there. In London? Uh, Yeah, in London. And I started doing my own nights. Um, It was a struggle, man. It was... It was a lot of struggle to even keep my head above water, like financially. But it was it was good times and very creative times. And I think I, I wrote most. I wrote I wrote the most music I ever written in my life around that time. Oh, it sounds like London. Yeah. So I, I stuck around there for about six years. Tell us about the little island you referred to, though. What was it like, and what is it like today? I mean, you're correct me if I'm wrong, but you're. Um a bit of a pioneer in Cyprus, aren't you? Uh, you could say that in a few ways, in the ways that um, basically we, me and my partner, uh, Andreas, who you met, uh, I mean, it was the amazing sound engineer that you experienced, his uh, Yeah, We uh, created basically the first sort of proper record label in Cyprus, and then we started uh, doing these festivals like summer festivals yeah uh, and also like winter festivals like uh with looping uh it was when looping was coming out about 2012 so yeah we created all these new let's say uh pioneering like you said uh, uh we established these things that weren't around at the time uh which in a way it has helped to, in a way, grow uh, at least the interest of having a music scene and having like a like a, an original music scene because up to that point it was all pretty much like cover bands and stuff like that. Like it wasn't an option to have a, an original band. It wasn't like a, like a thing that people had. Like oh, I can write my own songs. I can be an artist. Wow, I didn't. You know, it wasn't like. Our generation didn't have this sort of option. So you're the first generation of international songwriters from Cyprus. Did I get that right? Yeah, you could you could say that. I mean, there was a few other cases, like, but just like unique cases in the past, like maybe one in the '60s and one in the '70s and one in the '80s and mm. one in the '90s. But it was yeah, it was very sparse and like not collective or anything like that and then you, you, these people will usually move away and like go to greece or something and make a career out of doing something and also like being producers or whatever or sidemen ah uh, yeah so coming to this day where actually i feel like it's the it's the first time in history that there is actually uh a fair amount of of artists and people who do their own music, and uh, I don't know if you. We actually did a festival recently, um, like an online festival, inevitably uh, in in January, called Fengaros Reacts, which basically Fengaros is the name of our festival, and Fengaros Reacts was like a reaction, let's say, to not being able to play live. Sweet. Uh, um, so there's like 10 acts on there. Like you can watch them on YouTube. There's 10 acts that played live in, in our, in our studio. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was kind of very happy and overwhelmed when that happened because we, we had 
see products in the past on, on our festival, we we never really, you know, it's it's different to to be able to see everyone like on the same platform, like back to back, and mm. to actually realize that okay, now there's this thing like we, these people are around, these people are, you know, making music and they're making their own music and it's good. So there's a you know there's a there's a glimpse of hope there that after all these years and all this effort there's something coming out collectively out of this place. Beautiful man. How do you see the next generation unfolding? I have so much hope for the next generation um, because I think they they don't carry a lot of the burdens that we were carrying, the, the things that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so they're much freer and uh, to express and uh, much lighter in, in a sense. And, uh, and they're also much more informed, obviously from the internet and all that, and they listen to so much more music. So the results of the actual work is so much more um i don't know it's just the quality is just uh it's just getting better and better and they're also regarding the other thing we were saying about promoting themselves there are, there's so much um they're not as insecure let's say um mm -hmm. to to go and do that but they, they understand they're more mature in, in a sense they're, they understand the 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 chain of the production chain of what you need to do in order to, once you record, once you write, record, and then promote and all, you know, that chain of uh, things that need to be done in order to get to the next stage and the next stage. So, yeah, all of that just uh, makes me really hopeful. It's more grounded. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like it. Mm -hmm. I guess in a way we're all, I mean, our younger generations are being born, as cheesy as it sounds, onto planet Earth rather than a country. I mean, of course, there's the cultural background and that which uh, it adds to the lens. But I mean, um, it's, it's, it's such a different era. You know, you don't, you, you're thinking only within the limited realms of the country you happen to have been born in it's just not something that even works anymore mm -hmm. you're born with a screen in front of you which exposes you to any uh, ongoings in any part of the world can't even imagine what it's like to be born into an era like that i, I lived without internet until i was 14 years old man <laughs> yeah i think i was like 20 <laughs> wow yeah you, you had it even better than me yeah, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, I started planning my move to Europe by the time I was 16, so I was already on the computer then, applying to colleges and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hadn't actually gone online till I was 16, 17, I think. Mm. And, you know, that. so by the time you're 16, you're pretty much, you know, you're very much a person, very much like an entirely... Well, I'm not sure about complete, but you know, you know where your personality is leaning towards, and so uh, I wonder sometimes what it's like to be born into a world where you're online from the very offset. It's a very different feeling. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and apparently, you know, phones are not going to be enough. We're going to be having implants in our brains soon in a few years, so that's going to be next level. Okay, I have no idea what, how I got into this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, what's the best way to support you and your art? And where's the best place to find you? Um, oh, thank you for that. Um, well, I have a website. It's kind of like an old school website, I guess. See, seeing other people's website these days where it's just like a page and everything is just linked to music and videos. But um, yeah, I do have a website. It's my surname. It's mumtis.com. That's M-O-U-M-T-Z-I-S.com. Uh, and then I guess all my stuff is there, like all my records and videos and links to buy these records. Sweet. Also, um, yeah, and then you can look me up on YouTube and also our label, Luvana Records, that, that's L-O-U-V-A-N-A, uh, records.com. Well, they're definitely going to be on the episode notes. Tell us, before we end, though, mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit about our label, man. How did that come about? And how's that going? And what is it that you look for in the artists you sign on? And what's it like to be a label owner? I mean, what's it like on the other side? It's just very difficult, really. I mean, it's just like two, three people doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in-house promotion and stuff like that. We've... Uh, what are we looking for? We're looking for some. I mean, we, it took us a lot of years to learn these things because we we learned them as we went. But basically, we're looking for someone that's actually committed to what they're doing and they're committed to being an artist and uh, working on it and and being flexible and being well talented and also hardworking at the same time and and something that we like and it doesn't have anything to do with the type of music, not at all. We can't really even take on like too many acts these days like for example we work at the best we're going to work with two three acts um in a year to be able to actually give them something and that is going <clears> to <throat> worth our while and their while uh, in, in in terms of support and releases and stuff um it's hardly uh, profitable, if that was a question hidden in there. Well, yeah, it's, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, it it is hardly profitable, but it's something that we, you know, we keep trying, and uh, I think, yeah, we we're trying to get more into like stuff like, like licensing and stuff like that these days because obviously, you know, that's probably the the only uh, good uh, source of uh, income. Mm. So. Yeah, we're doing some shots on that as well. We had a bit of luck recently. Do you work on producing? Uh, I was listening to some of the materials from some of your artists. Man, some of it's really beautiful music up there. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw that you produced one of your artists as well. So is that a thing? Do you guys have like an in-house production team who work with the artists on the music as well? Yeah, it's the things that we put out, we usually work on them. Not always. Gotcha. But most of the time, they're going to be either recorded in Andreas' studio or they're going to be produced by me or by me and Andreas or they're going to be recorded there. Somehow, we are involved. Like, we don't, we're rarely going to pick up something that's ready and release it. We kind of are hands on totally from the first. Wow, that's beautiful. That's so old school, man, in a really good way. Yeah, because in a way, it's like that old school artist development thing that doesn't really exist anymore. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, so so we really try and care about the people that we work with and, and you know, take them, you know, walk all the steps together. Beautiful. So a lot of hand-holding involved in as well. Exactly. A lot of 
tears shared. Sounds good to me. Um, and do the art, other artists exclusively from Cyprus alone, or do you work with our international artists as well? It's mainly Cyprus and Greece. Mm-hmm. We want to have a close relationship, but actually, it's a bit ironic because the the people that we're working with this year is like Eleni Era, who she lives in Berlin. Gotcha. There was this other band called Balothizer, which they're based all over the place. They used to be, it's a Greek band, but they used to be based in London. Now they're based in Greece. Mm. But I mean, you know, we work it out. We we have close relationships and we talk a lot with them all the time. And Beautiful. Sounds good, man. Sounds like a full circle happening. Yeah, it's nice. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it was great to hear you and talk to you. Seriously, very enjoyable. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our shows so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice out in.